0: See, a lot of you have been to camp before, that, or in sixth grade, one of the two. Good. Well, welcome to all of you. <clears throat> you know, I was wondering, as, I'm, as I was approaching this passage on the armor of God and things, if there was going to be any kind of uh, opposition uh, to my speaking this morning. I didn't expect it to be here with the table set up and a new arrangement, sausage smell, pancakes cooking. So um, I will try to work through those things. But welcome to all of you, whether you are a regular attender here or whether you uh, are here for the first time or a periodic uh, visitor. Welcome. As Dave said, He asked me to speak, Uh, he gave me the option of dates and passages, and um, I chose this passage hoping that Randy would be back and say, oh, Mark, I'll cover for you. (laughs) Dave said, no, you're speaking, we're going to give Randy a break. So I chose the uh, Ephesians 6, 10 through 14. How about if we just pray before we start? Father, this is your word. We are your people, the church. Help us to know what you would have us to do and how you would have us to do it. Through the power of the Holy Spirit and in Jesus' name. As I studied this passage, the last verses of chapter 6, verses 10 through 24, um, I've really developed a much deeper sense of respect for Paul, the author of this letter, and for the entire book itself. The last verses of the book, when you come to them in the book, uh, where it says, finally, one of my initial thoughts was, well, it's just added on. You know, he, he covered all of his major points. This was just something that he happened to think of. But as I studied and thought about it, it is not an addendum. It is not an add-on. It really is a culmination of a lot of the themes that Paul has throughout the book. And we're going to be getting to some of those uh, in a little bit. I've become aware that as a teacher, uh, a person who is teaching from the book of Ephesians and even just these remaining verses could spend weeks just on these remaining verses. I won't do that, but a person could. And my time in the book has also opened up for me an awareness of a whole different subject area that perhaps I will explore later later. in my personal studies, which would be spiritual warfare. So we're going to be taking a look at this passage, um, and I'm going to ask you to open your Bible and turn to Ephesians 6, 10 through 24. And we'll be using the Bible a lot this morning, going back and forth in different passages. One of the things as I was standing there and we were singing, I was looking around, and I, I just really appreciate the number of people who have brought Bibles because it is one of the major weapons, pieces of equipment that Paul emphasizes as far as spiritual warfare, the armor of God. We need to have our Bible with us. Modern technology oftentimes will flash um, the verses up on screens behind the speaker, and I have no problem with that. But what happens is that people become dulled in their habits or in their desire to bring a Bible, thinking that it's already going to be provided for them. But when a speaker is speaking, myself, anybody, if a question comes up, you need to have something that you can check it out with. Turn to the Bible. Paul, or who was it, the author who wrote about the Bereans, were always checking out what was written, what was said. That's what we need to do as people of God. So it's good to have a Bible with you if you don't have a Bible physically where you can turn pages. I'm old-fashioned. I love turning pages. But I also have a Bible on my phone as an app that you can go to, that you can carry with you. Have a Bible with you. It's essential as a believer. I'm going to read the entire passage. And if you aren't following along in the Bible... Perhaps you'd like to close your eyes, not to sleep, but close your eyes and think about a person who would be a leader in the church in the first century. Paul mentions the name Tychicus at the end of chapter 6. Tychicus was a messenger of Paul, who had spent time with Paul while Paul was in Rome and in prison. And Paul had sent Tychicus to talk to the churches, to bring Paul's letter to the churches and to explain what was going on. So if you don't have a Bible with you, close your eyes and imagine Tychicus speaking and explaining the letter from Paul who was writing from a Roman prison. I'm going to first read through the entire passage, 10 through 24 of chapter 6, and then we'll go back and look at each of the verses. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me, that is Paul, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Just a little bit of background. Paul is writing to the whole church. We here in the, in the West, and particularly here in America, tend to receive information from the Bible with an individualistic idea. Oh, it's for me personally. But Paul, each of the pronouns of you in here is a plural pronoun you. In other words, he's addressing the whole church. So we need to hear it as being applied to a community, to a family of believers, Yes, the family is made up of individuals, so we need to pay attention to it individually. But we also need to be thinking about the whole church. We need to be thinking about others. So Paul is writing to the whole church. Some previously, I mentioned that there were some themes involved throughout um, Ephesians, and I started listing them, and, and Uni asked me how my studies were coming. I said, there's just way too much, way, way too much. I can't, I can't cover it all so I narrowed it down in chapter 2 of Ephesians verses 1 through 3 and some of these things I will some of these references I will read and some of them I'm simply going to refer you to them I left lots of blank space on the back of your bulletin if you want to write some down Objects of wrath. So one of the ideas is, is that, that Paul has presented here is that we were dead. All of us were dead until we confessed our sins and acknowledged the need for a Savior. Verses 4 through 7. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. All of us were dead. Those of us who accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior have become alive. Two different kingdoms. The spirit of the air whom we use, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, one of the kingdoms. Jesus Christ, who offers life, the other kingdom. The reason I bring up this particular theme is because it's important as we approach the armor of God. Okay, And in verse uh, 10 here in chapter 2, we are God's workmanship. When we were called out of that dark kingdom into the light kingdom, we have been created for doing God's work. Another um, theme that was here in Ephesians 4, there's the old self versus the new self. Again, old kingdom, new kingdom. Old self, new self. Ephesians 5 refers to light versus darkness. The old kingdom, dark, the dark world, the dark kingdom. Life in Christ is light. And Ephesians 3, as well as in chapter 4, the physical world versus the spiritual world. Throughout Ephesians, Paul refers frequently, and I really hadn't been aware of this before, he frequently refers to various, or uses various words, referring to the spiritual kingdom. Whether it's the heavenly kingdom, the heavenly realm, or whether it's referring to Satan's realm. But when he gets to the end of the book, it really is no surprise to the receivers of this letter that Paul is contrasting these different things. Okay? So he very much points out the physical world versus the spiritual world. In fact, in verses four, uh, chapter four, verse twenty-seven. I'll start with verse twenty-five. Chapter four, verse twenty-five. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. The devil is not some theoretical idea out there for Paul. The devil is very real. In fact, he mentions it later in chapter 6, the devil's schemes. So there's the physical world and the spiritual world. Themes that run throughout that play out as far as the armor of God. So let's start with Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. The word finally made me think that it must be similar to the word therefore, which always refers back to something. So finally is not, oh, I forgot to tell you. This finally, I suspect, is look at how this all flows together and builds up to here. You have to go back and see what comes before. I suspect that Paul used his Jewish education in Old Testament scriptures as a resource for his writing. So if you turn to Deuteronomy 31, passages that you are familiar with. Deuteronomy 31, verse 6, Paul says, or not Paul, I'm sorry. You have Moses speaking to all of Israel. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Then in verse 7, we have Moses calling Joshua up in front of all of the Israelites. Be strong and courageous. For you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their forefathers to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. I I suspect that Paul was thinking of some of these encouragements, some of these challenges that God and Moses gave to the Israelites when he is giving this challenge to the young church around the area of Ephesus. Be strong. And Even in Deuteronomy 31, verse 23, the Lord himself is commanding Joshua, be strong and courageous. Of course, if you go to the first chapter of Joshua, frequently, be strong and courageous, that the Lord is telling Joshua. In Ephesians, then, we can see this theme carried out. uh, Ephesians 1, verses 18 through 20. Paul's writing, Is from God. The power and strength that the Lord promised to the Israelites and to Joshua is the same power, Paul, and, and it's the same strength that Paul is saying that we as believers have. In fact, it's the strength, the power that the Holy Spirit used to raise Jesus from the dead. Chapter 3, verse 16, when Paul is praying, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Jumping down to verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Believers, we have an unbelievable power. It's up to us to use it. Think about it. Israel was going into enemy territory. We as believers are living in enemy territory. Israel witnessed God's mighty power, the plagues, God coming down on Mount Sinai, the miracles throughout the wilderness. We as believers have witnessed God's mighty power in Jesus' defeat of sin and death and the fact that we have been adopted into God's family. Israel was released from slavery in Egypt. Believers have been released from slavery to the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Israel was prepared for battle. Paul is making sure believers, we believers, are prepared for battle. So God who redeemed the Israelites and told them to be strong is the same God who redeemed us, and whom we are being told will help us also to be strong. Verse 11 in chapter 6, put on the full armor of God so that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. Again, Paul is acknowledging the existence of the devil. Why do we have to put on armor? Well, if you think about it, and it goes back to that idea of being coming from the kingdom of death or darkness and light. When we were part of the devil's kingdom, when we were part of that whole kingdom of darkness, we were dead in our sins. We didn't have to worry about confronting the enemy. We were already part of his kingdom. Why is he going to confront us? But now that we're part, as believers, of God's family and kingdom, we become objects of the devil's attacks. We don't have to worry about being reclaimed by Satan, for once God has us, we are his. But he certainly wants to make us ineffective and dim our light. That's part of the battle. Paul assumes that his readers know that there is a real devil. That he does have plans and schemes. As it says there in verse 11, take your stand against the devil's schemes. So I encourage all of us as believers, know the enemy. Satan is a liar. Satan is a murderer. Who will twist words? Misuse scripture. Just look at what Jesus' confrontation with Satan in Matthew 4. Satan will twist scripture. He knows scripture, but he'll twist it or leave out parts. We have to be alert to that. And he will cause us to doubt God and truth. Satan has an army of fallen angels, which are referred to as demons, who are working for him. Dr. Carl Payne wrote a book, Spiritual Warfare, which I used and read twice recently. And according to Dr. Payne, these demons have a job. The first job is to keep people out of heaven. But for those of us who are already believers, their job is to keep us so preoccupied and distracted that we will never feel qualified or have the time to help someone else get to heaven. According to Dr. Payne, these demons have a job. They will attempt to destroy their enemies. People, it's a very real enemy we face. These demons will attempt to destroy their enemies. They don't play at their work or take vacations. They play to win, And they play for keeps. They approach their assigned responsibilities from a win-lose mentality. They fight to win and work diligently to make Christians lose. Demons are not equals with Christians. I want to make sure you understand that. Demons are not equals with Christians. A Christian's delegated authority from Christ is far greater than a demon's delegated authority from Satan. But it doesn't mean that they're not going to attack us. Okay? We as believers are stronger than the demons. We have the power of God. But we have to be aware of the enemy. Verses 12. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. If you think of spiritual warfare, now Dr. Payne was helpful in getting me to think about this. If you think of spiritual warfare as a pie, okay, not that a pie is going to be thrown in your face, a pie divided into three equal parts, Three equal parts of spiritual warfare that we face. And when it says in here, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, that struggle, the word struggle there really means a kind of wrestling, hand-to-hand combat. Okay? So think of this pie, three equal pieces of spiritual warfare. The world, the flesh, and the devil the world in 1st john chapter 2 verses 15 through 17 i will read this do not love the world or anything in the world if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him now when he's talking about world it doesn't mean people in the world okay it's part of the spiritual warfare for everything in the world, the cravings of the sinful man, the lust of the eyes and the boasting of what he has and does, what he has and does, in other words, selfish ambition, comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. That's one piece of the pie, the world. Second piece of the pie is the flesh. And whereas the world is an external attack on us through the eyes, through all kinds of things externally. The flesh is an internal struggle. If you turn to Romans 7, I'm not going to read Romans 7. It's where Paul is agonizing over the fact that things that he wants to do, he doesn't do. And the things that he shouldn't do, he ends up doing, and it's a constant back and forth. That's part of that spiritual warfare. Paul was dealing with it. He's speaking from personal experience. Just down in 7, Romans 7, verse 21. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another war, a law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So even Paul was wrestling internally in spiritual warfare. He was being attacked. But his thoughts were thanking Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the third area of spiritual warfare is the devil. And we had mentioned that just briefly, but in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 9. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. This is 1 Peter Verse five or chapter five. I'm in verse eight. I'm sorry if I'm racing through these, but it's my way of condensing this. Be self-controlled and alert your enemy. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering three areas. Of spiritual warfare. The world. The flesh. The world external. The flesh internal struggle with sin. And devil is attacking us. That's why Paul is saying. Put on the full armor of God. We need it. We are in warfare. In Ephesians 6. Going back to Ephesians 6. Verse 12. Remember, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In fact, we're trying to bring the light of Christ to those who are dead in their sins and help them gain new life through Christ. We also are trying to live our lives in a way that is pleasing to our Lord and Savior Jesus. So not only are we trying to bring light to the world, we ourselves are trying to live in a way that would be pleasing to him. Verse 13 of chapter 6. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Again, we need to be dressed in the full armor of God. He mentions it twice. There's a sense of urgency. And don't face the battle partially dressed. You're only asking for trouble. The day of evil is every day. We must be ready always. Standing your ground is not necessarily a defensive position. We don't just stand there and wait to be attacked. We can take the battle to the enemy. As I was studying this, I decided to call Tim Laux and just ask him about military training. I didn't go through military training. I I knew that Tim did. And... He shared with me that in military training, it instills within a soldier the attitude and responsiveness to obey orders and never retreat. As advances are made on the battlefield, stand firm and then continue moving forward. So if you s- hear the, see this phrase, standing firm, we stand firm. As we gain ground, we stand firm. As we gain more ground, we stand firm. After you have done everything, stand firm. The al- armor allows us not only to be on the defensive, but also to be on the offensive. Verses 16 through 17, I mean 14 through 17. It all of a sudden hit me. Each of these six pieces, topics of equipment, truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, the word of God, they were all things that Paul mentioned in the letter previously. And he's tying it all together here and he's saying, okay, it's just like, somebody doing a a message or a pastor preaching on, let's say, a book, Colossians. Well, he does it over a period of weeks, okay? Lots of times we get bits and pieces then, and they're really good, but sometimes we fail to see how it's all tied together. Paul is doing the same thing. I mentioned to you about truth in the first chapter in chapter 4 in chapter 5, I mentioned to you about righteousness in chapter 4 and chapter 5. I mentioned to you about peace in chapter 2 and so on. Now he's pulling it all together and saying, you as a church, you as an individual, have to put on these things. You have to put on truth. You have to put on righteousness as you face the enemy. All of these things that I've been talking about, you have to put on. And because you are no longer in the dead kingdom, you are in the alive kingdom. That's why you're being attacked. That's why there's warfare. You have to be ready for it. The belt of truth. It was a belt worn around the waist, and it helped support much of the other equipment, much of the other armor. So how are we going to know the truth? Pilate at least asked, what is truth? Today we hear, There is no truth except what I say is true. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Do you want to know the truth? Go to your Bible. Breastplate of righteousness. It protected the front of the soldier. Some even say that there was a front piece and a back piece. Either way, it protected the heart and the chest and the vital organs. Righteousness is a devout and holy life. Do you want to know how to live a holy life? Go to the Bible. Feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Proper shoes are essential. Proper shoes are essential to a soldier having success. I read someplace where Roman soldiers oftentimes would have be supplied with thick-soled Shoes with spikes in them. That was one of the reasons that they could hike overnight and over really rough terrain because they had good shoes. They could surprise the enemy in the morning. Okay? Good shoes are essential. Having the burden of sin lifted through Jesus' sacrifice, we are now ready to move forward and proclaim the good news, the gospel of peace through faith in God. If you turn to Isaiah, now, I know this is a familiar passage, Isaiah 52, verse 7. Those of us who are older used to sing this verse. Isaiah 52, verse 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace. Who, did, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. So the author here in Isaiah is even saying how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, proclaiming peace. So we need to be, have our feet fitted with that Proclamation. And where do we get the news for that proclamation? The Bible. A shield of faith. Usually it was, about a, it was a piece of equipment about four feet high, two and a half feet wide, carried by a soldier to resist the, any missiles or anything like that that was coming at them. Faith is a trust in the triune God, relying on his word of revelation and promise. Now, what could be flaming arrows? I was thinking about that. First of all, a flaming arrow, if it hit you, would really hurt. Uh, Also, not only could it really hurt, but it could spread beyond you. So we need the faith. Flaming arrows could be the constant accusations by the enemy. Did you know, it says in Revelation 12.10, Satan is constantly accusing the believers. So, for those of you who are constantly battling these thoughts and being accused of things, it very well could be that Satan, through his demonic forces, could be accusing you of things you need to resist. James talks about the effect of flame of words. He likens it a, the tongue to be, and words being said by the tongue, a little spark starting a whole forest on fire. The flaming arrows seem to be person-specific, but our shield is the same for everybody. So each of us may be dealing with different flaming arrows, but that faith, that shield that we hold up to resist those flaming arrows is the faith in the one true God. Helmet of salvation. 1 Thessalonians. There's actually a reference in Isaiah, in Isaiah uh, 59, 17, that is talking about God himself putting on the helmet of salvation. But in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 8, Paul is writing to the Thessalonians, but since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. That idea of our head being protected through the salvation that we claim through Jesus. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, of course, one of the most famous passages in Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 12. The word of God is living and active sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The word of God. It can be used defensively as well as offensively. In order to train in how to use it properly, we need to spend time reading it. We need to spend time meditating on it. We need to spend time memorizing it. We We need to spend time obeying it and We need to spend time with it, carrying it in our hearts so that we always have it with us, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's not just academic. It is living and active. Ephesians 6, 18 through 20, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying. For all the saints, pray also for me, Paul, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Now when he says in the spirit, he's referring to with the spirit's help and with in harmony in conjunction with God's will. All kinds of prayers and requests. They can be praise, they can be thanksgiving, they can be confession, they can be intercession, they can be offensive and defensive. In, if you, first of all, I'm sorry, I'm getting way ahead of myself. Paul in Ephesians gave us two examples of prayer in Ephesians 1, verses 15 and 22, and in Ephesians 3, 14 and 21. So Paul himself, shows us how to pray. But David, in the Psalms, shows us how to pray. In Psalm 35, an example of an offensive prayer. And I'm only going to read the first few verses. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Now, he doesn't sound very passive here. Fight against those who fight against me. Take up shield and buckler. Arise and come to my aid. Brandish spear and javelin against those who pursue me. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. We can pray offensive prayers against the enemy. We can also pray defensive prayers. In Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh and when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. A defensive prayer. We can pray all sorts of different ways. But one of the best ways that we can pray is praying scripture back to the Lord. He wrote it. We can pray it back to him. Pray not just for ourselves individually. Again, we here in America tend to think just about ourselves. Don't pray just individually. That is important. I'm not saying it's not important. But we need to be praying collectively. Pray for our congregation. Pray for our neighborhood. Our communities. Bless you. Pray for those across the nation. All you have to do, people, is pick up the newspaper or listen. I, I use a newspaper. Sorry, it's one of those paper things. All you have to do is listen to the news. Leaders across the country are being attacked and fall. Christian leaders and churches are being attacked in fall, We need to pray here for Pastor Randy, for the leadership, for all of those who are in leadership and hold positions of teaching and things like that here. They're under attack. They are targets. They're walking around with targets on their back. We need to pray for them. We need to pray for those believers around the world, churches around the world. And we need to pray for the persecuted church. Believers in areas where they are being persecuted. I can't tell you how many times I've heard when people interview people who are being persecuted. Well, what do you want us back here in America to pray for? It's never about, oh, take away my burden of being persecuted. It's that, that I may be a faithful witness for Christ. It didn't matter what the persecution is. They want to remain faithful no matter what their circumstances. That's what we should be doing. We can't pray for Paul, obviously, but we need to be praying for all of those who are proclaiming the truth through God's word. Whether it's up front in front of a congregation, or when believers are using the word to share their faith in the marketplace, or the neighborhoods, or in one of the most difficult places, within our families. Pray that they may do so accurately, truthfully, and as Paul said, fearlessly. Paul didn't request believers to pray for him to be released from prison. He wanted to have a fearless, effective proclamation of the gospel. Let's turn to 21 and 22. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage you. Communication is vitally important in any organization, in any community, in any family. Now I know that electronically, we oftentimes hide behind a screen. We say we're communicating, but we're really hiding behind a screen. We may be sharing ideas, Face-to-face communication is vitally important. You can read faces. You can hear tones of voice. You can pick up sadness, even though the words themselves may not be sad. You can pick up joy, even though there may be a monotone. We need to be communicating. That's why small groups are very important. Yes, Randy and other speakers can be up here and speaking to the congregation, which is great. But small groups are vitally important so that you can have that interaction with one another, so that you can communicate with one another, encourage one another. You can learn to build trust with one another within the body. You can share with one another. You can confront one another. Sometimes we have to be confronted but it's with people that you trust. You're far more responsive to a confrontation if you know the person's heart who is speaking to you. That comes from spending time with them and just talking with one another face to face. Let me just share with you a few thoughts and then we'll have the benediction. We are in a war, a deadly war. We are in a war that is not visible to the human eye, where the spiritually dead and the spiritually living look the same outwardly. We are in a war, though, where the results have eternal consequences. The battle rages all around us and is nonstop. Our king has already defeated the enemy, but the daily battles continue. We are commanded to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We are individuals who make up a community of local believers who are part of the church universal. We should think of our local church, the building and the people within that building, as an outpost, as a command center, where we come to be encouraged, where we can come to be strengthened, And where we can come to be prepared to return to battle. This is not a hideout. We should be welcoming those who are battle worn and allow God to provide comfort and healing. We should be welcoming those who are dead in their sins and who are looking for hope and something to live for. We should be training our youth. Are new believers encouraging experienced believers? A soldier is difficult to defeat if he or she knows who they are, where they came from, why they are fighting, and if they are adequately prepared. How can we be strong in the Lord? We need to to daily put on God's full armor in our individual lives. And the church needs to put on the armor collectively as we engage the enemy. And while we are being strengthened by God's mighty power. Paul in the last two verses gave a benediction and then I'm going to share one additional benediction. This is the benediction from Paul. Verse 23 of chapter 6. Peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Uni and I attended a church for a number of years, and the pastor there, his name was Carlton Harris, would always end his messages with the following benediction. And if you listen carefully, a lot of the themes in this benediction are carried or have been mentioned in these last verses. This is how Carlton Harris would always end his messages. Now go into the world in peace and have courage. Hold on to what is good, honor all men, strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, help the suffering, share the gospel, love and peace, love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all until we meet again.